Hi everyone, welcome back to the Bun Me Chronicles podcast. This is Randy Kim, host and creator of this podcast. I decided to briefly interrupt my recording hiatus and record an emergency episode. There is a trigger and content warning as this episode will talk about police violence, mental health, and adoptee trauma. What prompted me to come out of hiatus is the story of Christian Hall, who was a 19-year-old Chinese-American adoptee who was murdered by police during a mental health crisis on December 30th, 2020 in Northeastern Pennsylvania. Police were summoned on the 911 call that Christian placed anonymously. As police arrived, Christian was standing on the ledge of a highway overpass with a pellet gun in his hand. In the final 14 seconds, both of Christian's hands were up. And in the final moment, two police officers opened fire, striking Christian several times, and he was later pronounced dead. Since his murder, the police that were involved in his death have not been charged. In cooperation from the Monroe County District's Attorney's Office up to the Pennsylvania State Attorney's General Office, have gone unanswered, leaving Christian's parents with no resolution and no opportunity to bring his case for an independent investigation. In my interview with Gareth and Faye Hall, I wanted to spend time talking about who Christian was as a son and who he was as a young person. This was missing in many of the stories I've read about Christian, as well as the stories of BIPOC folks who have died under police violence and or through mental health crises. We spoke about what led to their adoption of Christian and they shared several fond memories of their son. They spoke about the adoptee trauma and other mental health traumas he experienced. Nicole Henriquez, Christian's aunt and who's been leading the advocacy for Christian on their behalf, joined in on the episode as she shared with us about the current legal situation and the call to action to open up an independent investigation of his murder. I'm extremely grateful and honored to have Mr. and Mrs. Hall and Nicole on this episode as they shared so many beautiful stories about their son. And I hope that you take your time to learn about Christian Hall and the ongoing case. After you listen to this episode, I encourage you to read the stories and lived experiences of BIPOC adoptees and follow updates about the ongoing case in the links that I provided on the show notes. You can also follow updates on Instagram at justice underscore for underscore Christian Hall, or please visit justiceforchristianhall.com. Thank you and take care, everyone. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Bunny Chronicles podcast. So today um, I am really honored to be talking with uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hall, uh, Faye and Gareth Hall. And they are the uh, parents of Christian Ha, who was a 19-year-old Chinese-American adoptee who was murdered on December 30th by police in uh, northeastern Pennsylvania. And I just want to say that it has been a very, um, very difficult time just looking back on the ongoing case and... I also want to say that, you know, personally for me, it's been really hard to see where this case has gone, where there has been no accountability. And, you know, for you 
um, Mr. and Mrs. Hall, it's been a very challenging time and it's been a very difficult ordeal. So I cannot imagine what that has been, um, what that experience has been like for you. And also I do want to acknowledge uh, Nicole Henriquez, who is also on the call uh, as support. And also I ask her to, you know, share if, if she wants to step in or, you know, to be there uh, to support uh, both Mr. and Mrs. Hall, as uh, she's also been uh, hoping to facilitate and leading uh, the work for uh, the movement for uh, Christian Hall. And I want to start by asking you, how have you been holding up in this time? And, and also, I want to say thank you really so much for being on the show. It's an, it's an honor and it's a privilege to have this conversation with you, especially with something that's been so deeply personal and traumatic. Well, it has been a very, very difficult time. Um, we miss our son quite a bit. It is sad to me that he never made it to actual adulthood. He was taken down at the age of 19. He was supposed to go for his road test about a week later. Um, I, just so that you know, I'm a teacher and um, my, my, my license is supposed to be for grade seven to 12. I can't even consider setting foot in a high school anymore because I don't, I can't handle being around so many people, so many kids that are close to his age. My wife's world has shrunken quite a bit because there's so many things she can't find herself able to do, certain areas where she can't go. She barely ever goes upstairs in the house anymore because that was his bedroom. Um, I just recently, because I have a new position, I had to go on that overpass. I hadn't traveled on it in over a year since it happened. And I'm reminded every morning of how close he was to the officers. I'm reminded every morning that this is where my son lost his life. I find myself questioning every time I see a state trooper pull someone over. Everything in me wants to come out and videotape the interaction. Um, especially when I see that they've stopped a person of color. You know, um, it's very difficult. 
extremely difficult. My wife can tell you her part. Yeah, it's, there's no other way of saying it other than it has been very, very difficult to wake up in the morning knowing that the house is very quiet and I don't hear my son moving around in his room. Um, it's very difficult to go on in my day because he has always been a part of every moment of our day. Um, there were certain times when he would send a text or call me or I would text him and call him to see how his day was going at work. And when those times come during the day, at nine o'clock and 10 o'clock in the morning, I just stare at my phone and I have to force myself to continue with my day. And that is the same thing in the afternoon when it was time for us to, you know, to chat with him again, to find out, are you leaving on time? You know, what are your plans? Are you going to the gym? You know, it, it, it's those, one might think that those are little things, but those are the things that really make it difficult. You know, um, I had so many plans for Christian, of course, as a parent, as a family, we always thought about, you know, going on vacations. Um, like Garrett said, he was going for his um, driving, you know, his road test. And I was looking forward to surprising him with, you know, here you go, let's go look for a car so you can go drive yourself. Um, you know, there, there was so many long-term, short-term plans and, and, and dreams. The holidays were so difficult. Um, I'm beginning to be the, I'm beginning to be a recluse because I can't find myself going to to stores. The, the many places that um, we were in, you know, even just looking outside the window, just sitting here working in one spot um, in the dining room, staring at um, the chair where his jacket is still um, draped over it. Um, it has been very difficult. Um, and it's the same thing with, with my family, members of my family. You know, um, it's, it's difficult to have conversations with them and not go into, you know, I wish he was here and so on. We try to comfort ourselves. We try to comfort each other. I pretend a lot. I pretend that he's still here. I still, if I'm downstairs, I would still call out to him and say, hey, are you coming down? Are you bringing down your laundry? I'm doing the laundry. Could you come down? Um, it's difficult for me to wash the dishes because that was his job. And um, I feel so sorry for Gareth because he would come home to a sink full of dishes because I it's again the word is difficult it's very difficult to go to that sink 
or take the garbage out or do the things that he used to do, you know, take care of his pet. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's going to take a long time. There is no such thing as getting over uh, losing someone, but it's a matter of learning how to handle, how to live life and how to continue on because I know that that is what he wants us to do to continue on with our life and enjoy what, you know, what's left um, with us. But it is going to be a long process. It's going to be a long time learning how to do that. I want to say thank you so much for sharing this and, you know, and for really inviting us into the day-to-day -day, um, reality that you've been currently living through, which has been nothing short of a nightmare and it's been very trying on both of you mentally and physically and and i could not imagine what you both have been going through and also for so many parents who specifically among black and other bipoc folks who've lost loved ones to um police violence and and with mental health struggles and and also i think what's really important and doing this episode is um, when I would read about the stories of Christian, most of it is centered around the day of his death and his own uh, past history. But I think what's really missing is Christian as a son to you and, and also who he is as a 19 year old kid because even in our most difficult of days, you know, I remember being a, at his age, feeling very depressed. There's always something about having dreams, like we have goals. And I see Christians having something to look forward to, even mm -hmm. despite his difficulties. And I feel it's very important to really lift up um, the many beautiful parts that he has, you know, in his short life. And I wonder, if you can take us back on how you were introduced to Christian and what was your first impression about him? I, uh, do you mind if I take that? Go ahead. Yeah, so um, first of all, uh, Gareth and I used to live in Queens in New York City. That's where we met. That's where we got married. And when we decided to um, build a family, we figured it would be best to move outside of New York City so that we can buy, we can afford to buy a place with a lot of room for a child to run around instead of just a small apartment, a small home with no yard in, in Queens. So even before um, we thought about adopting, um, we had already made plans of this is what we want for our child. Um, and so we moved out to a little town, a very quaint town in Stroudsburg, uh, Pennsylvania. There's a lot of room, um, you know, and, and we thought that it's, it's away from the city. It, it, you know, it would be safer for him, you know, for our child, that is. We're even 
pretty, I mean, we're close enough to the main roads out here, but it's, you would have to look to find our house, right? you know, and that's what we wanted. We're on over an acre. Um, he had more than ample room to run around right. and do what he wanted. Right. And when we decided to adopt, we figured we wanted it to be uh, an international adoption because um, domestic adoptions, there's always a chance that the child's family will later come and claim them and take them away from the adoptive families. And we didn't want that. We wanted to have a child of our own and, you know, and not have any chance that someone will come up and say, hey, I'm the mom, I want my child back. So we decided on China. And um, I always call it love at first sight because the way that the Chinese adoption was a few months before we were given the green light to travel to China to pick up our child, um, the agency sent us a picture of Christian um, and it was emailed to me. Um, they gave us um, his Chinese name, Chen Zhubo, and um, saw the picture, uh, fell in love with him right away. It was, it was love at first sight. A few months later, we traveled to China. We picked him up while we were in China. Um, the agency from the United States uh, called us. There were seven families in our group. Um, and the community- well, Even before that, I'll just say, when we went to, when we went to the orphanage to get him, um, I remember they had him dressed and I, I actually got very nervous because I didn't realize, I, he looked really big. He looked like a heavy kid. And I was like, I can't carry that. You know, it turns out they had so many layers of clothing on him because when we brought him back to the hotel, Faye was undressing him to give him a bath. And each time she removed one thing, there was something else there. And it was, I mean, it was so many layers until we finally got to him. Because when I, when I did hold him, I was like, whoa, he's a lot lighter than he looked. What's going on here? And you could tell that he was one of the favorite babies at the orphanage because workers came to say goodbye to him from all over. And he was actually like a king in court because he was picking and choosing who he would hug. <laughs> you know, there was some that would try to hug him and he was like, nah. and then someone else would come by and he would reach out his arms to them. Um, the, um, the caregivers were crying, following me because I was holding Christian. Mind you, we went with another family who went yes. to pick up their daughter. They ignored her completely. Yeah. They couldn't hear less that she was leaving, but they were fawning over Christian. 
mm. Buddha's trying to just continuing to the communication that we got from the agency from the United States is that they said that there was a child before our group that was picked up from the same agency um, in Shanghai, who upon return in the United States was, um, was diagnosed with hepatitis C. Um, and they gave us the option and said, if you want, you can give back your babies and we will give you another baby from a different, a different orphanage or a different place. And of course, our answer was, this is our child. We're not giving him back. His hours don't really care if there's a chance um, that he's, you know, he's, he's positive for hepatitis C or whatever. But like I said, once we have his picture, he was our child. Um, he was not our adopted child. He was our child. Christian, you know, growing up, he was never referred to in our family. And it, 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 it not on my side, not on Garrett's side. We've never referred to him as our adopted child. Christian was our child. Christian was my nephew's and niece's cousin. He was the nephew. He, he had uncles and aunts. He had cousins. He didn't have adopted cousins. He didn't have adopted aunts and uncles. We were not his adopted, uh, you know, adoptive parents. We were his parents. Um, and we made sure um, when Christian was a little older that we told him about his adoption we decided that it, that it wasn't something that we should hide from him, you know, because he needed to know. We, we felt that he needed to know and we made sure that he understood that um, when we went to China to pick him up, the, the orphanage, the agency in China showed us um, where he was found and um, the, the information that we received from the agency was that he was left at the doorsteps of a major hospital in Shanghai. And because of that, we told Christian, look, you're not a throwaway baby. Your mother loved you. She loved you so much that she made sure that you are safe and that you are found. He was born in on October 31st and Evidently, it was just a few days after he was born that they found him. So October in Shanghai is cold. It's winter time. So we told him, your mother made sure that you didn't freeze to death. Your mother made sure that you were left at the doorsteps of a hospital where you will be found. You would be cared for. And Shanghai is where they had the, it, it's where China has their flagship orphanage. Mm -hmm. So we told him that. Your mother made sure that you were placed somewhere where you were guaranteed to have a family. Right. Because that's where my understanding is majority of Chinese adoptions came from that agency, <clears throat> that orphanage. So we always made him aware that you are your, your family, your biological family cared enough about you to make sure you were cared for. Right. You know, um, 
And I told him, I said, there are many horror stories in China about kids just being left in fields to die of the elements from exposure, just being thrown away. And we made sure he knew that wasn't his case. How often did he ask about his past and how did he react to what you were both telling him about his origin? He, with me, he never really said much about it. Um, he would, I always told him, I said, look, it's up to you to decide if you want to tell someone you're adopted because mm -hmm. you don't have to. <clears throat> First off, it's none of their business. Mm -hmm. And it's not impossible for your mother and I to have, it, would, to have, actually given birth to a child who looked like you. You know, I told him, I said, it's very possible. Look at the fact that he actually resembles one of his cousins a great deal. <clears throat> and I told him the very fact, I have, I have Chinese blood in my, in my veins. So that gene could have worked with moms and given birth to you. You don't know that. So that's not something you have to tell anyone. But Christian openly embraced all his cultures. Mm -hmm. He embraced being Chinese. He embraced being Black. <laughs> he embraced being Filipino. He embraced being Latino. Mm -hmm. As far as he was concerned, that was who he was. He was all of that. Thank you for sharing that. For a while, um, when he was old enough to have a phone um, and he would text anybody, he would sign his text, um, Mr. Hispanic Blation. That's what he referred himself, Hispanic and Blation. So um, there's no doubting that he was proud of, of who he was and um, how he was made up, out of. But to answer your question, how did he react? Um, with me, from time to time we have, we would, he and I would have those conversations about um, what his mother would look like. Um, and it's always been, about his mother, um, I don't remember her. I don't remember him talking about his father. He just said, "I wonder what she would look like. I just want to know what what she looks like." And I and, and there are some conversations where he would say, "If we go to China, do you think that I'll find my family?" Um, and again, with that question, I was always open to him in that we could go to China, we, we could save up for it, that, you know, you can put that in your bucket list. It's in my bucket list, and I'm going to do that for you. However, um, just be prepared in that we may not, we may not find your family, because then I would go to the story of how he was left, you know, at the, the door of a hospital and stuff like that. Um, each time that we had conversations like that, he would be very, very, very apologetic towards me. And he would say, look, mom, 
it's not like I love you less. Um, I love you so very much, but I am just wondering about how she would look like. The first time that he brought it up actually was while we were in the Philippines. I think he was, he probably was about 10, 11 years old. Um, and he was having a tough time and it was holding him. Um, and just out of, out of nowhere, he held out, I just want to see my mother. I just want to know what she would look like. And that was all he said. And he continued crying uncontrollably. And, and, and I just held him so tight. And I said, look, I love you so much. I will always be your mother. And I will, you know, you'll always be my baby. I wish that I can help you. I wish that I can find your mother. I wish that I can take you to her. Um, and, and that was the worst that I can remember. That was the first time that, that he brought it up. That was the worst emotionally, that is, um, that he showed wanting to know who his mother was. But the following conversations, it's all about, mom, I love you so much. It doesn't mean I love you less, but I am just wondering what my mother looks like. Mm, it's so heartbreaking just to hear him share that story and mm -hmm. and to and, hold that for him. Yeah, and, mm. and looking back now, I don't know how deep um, that desire was or how deep that pain was. Not knowing, you know, not knowing. Um, I hadn't realized how deep that wound can be that that it could be an identity crisis like it didn't matter how much he was loved um but there is that piece where it's like i love i have mom and dad here i know what they look like they love me i have a loving family however there is that piece i'm pretty sure in his mind like well where did I come from? You know, and, and again, I will never, even to this day, I, I know that I will not understand what that is like. Only another person who has been adopted can identify with those feelings, but I can't. Thank you for sharing that. I, I also want to say that, that there's been obviously you know, there's adoptee traumas and and how that also affects mental health too, which I know that he's been, that it was documented that he had struggled with and, and also just what you shared was that, that there's a sense of not knowing and this never ending search and having question marks, mm -hmm. walking around with question marks. And, and I wonder because there's also the context of him being, you know, you live in a predominantly white community, and and also oftentimes when we think of of adopted parent adopted parents, we think of mostly white parents, and I I wonder what that dynamic must have been like, and how the community um, treated you and Christian, um, especially you know being from a multicultural family. Well, I um. <clears throat> During Christian's early years, um, 
I was the one, I was his primary caregiver. Giver. Um, we both worked in New York still when we moved out here. But shortly after we came back from China, um, my job was transitioned to an office in Indiana. And the folks in Indiana didn't care where I worked out of, where I worked from. So I was able to work from home. And um, so when Faye's maternity leave ended, I was able to jump right in and I worked from home and took care of him in the house while I worked. Um, eventually, we had to get a sitter for him because I couldn't watch him and work because he was a very active young man. Um, but he and I spent a lot of time together. We went around the community together and it was kind of funny to me that all we had to do is go into a place once and people automatically remembered us so that the next time we went, they were always, oh, hello, how are you? Uh, we used to occasionally go to breakfast at this restaurant and we had our own waitress. Because it was funny, we would come in and she would just, everyone knew that we were her customers and she came, seated us at her table and she would basically know what our orders were immediately. <clears throat> um, there was a Chinese restaurant we used and I would go in with Christian and they would, the owner of the restaurant would give us so much free stuff. It was not funny. He would hand us, he would give us free sodas. He would give us the, we, we would have like 10 times the amount of fortune cookies that anyone else would get. If they had other different things, if they had other desserts, they were giving them to us. Um, it, it was funny. It was, it was actually kind of great. You know, um, it appeared to be very, they appeared to be very accepting of us, you know. Um, I was very concerned when Christian went to school, being that there are almost no Asian people out here. It's a very, very small Asian community, I think 2% of the population. And when Christian started first grade, I actually put him, we put him in a chart, we put him in a charter school that was predominantly black because I felt that he might be more comfortable there than in the public school. And he was fine there for a bit. Christian and school did not agree. <laughs> um, he had difficulty, he, he has severe, he had severe ADHD. He had heightened impulsivity. And um, between first and third grade, he'd been into, he'd been in 
he'd been in three or four different schools. Um, to the point where when we finally put him in a public school, he lasted most of the year there, but then they, they put him out and they were planning on putting him in an alternative education school, which I had been working in and I knew I didn't want my child in that environment. It is barely a step above juvenile detention. And um, he begged me to homeschool him, which scared the life out of me because he was going into fourth grade. And as a substitute teacher, I won't substitute fourth grade because that's too young for me. I just can't handle it. So the idea of homeschooling my fourth grader freaked me out completely. But Faye and I talked about it <clears throat> and um, I decided to homeschool him. So I did. And the joke to me is the public school was planning on holding him back. In that one year of homeschooling, not really paying much attention to what I was doing. I was just working at his pace. At the end of the year, he gave him a standardized test and Christian tested two grade levels above what we started at. At the end of his fourth grade year, he tested on a sixth grade level. That is how his mind works. He has to learn at his pace. He has to do it in his time and he flourishes when he does, you know. Um, oddly enough, Christian never learned algebra, but he understood the concepts of calculus. He taught himself trigonometry. He, a friend of his, was complaining that she was having difficulty with her physics homework. Christian never took physics, but he asked her what it was that she was learning. She told him, he says, okay, I'll get back to you. He researched it and he was able to help her. You know, um, if he knew what you needed to learn, he would figure it out and figure out a way to help you. You know, that was, that was his makeup. He wanted to, he wanted to help people. Yeah. He that's, enjoyed it. That's incredible. And I also think that when we think of the public school education system and how it actually does a disservice, a lot of it does a disservice to so many children, especially among black and brown and other folks of color and how that can actually create long-lasting consequences and it's really important that i'm really glad that you really shared about christian's gifts and what he was able to do in spite of the way the system was trying to pigeonhole him and and i wonder if you're able to share any like some of your more f memorable fun moments with christian like what like the things that you would do as a family like the things that um like how was he around you uh both yeah. as a family so um, 
we had family nights. We had movie nights, family nights. Um, and sometimes he would pick the movies. Um, most of the times he would pick the movies. There was a TV, you know, there's several TV series that he would pick in, in every night, not every night, but those nights, um, the three of us would, would just watch, um, watch those shows. Teen Wolf um, was one of them. Um, what was the last one? The Twilight. Twilight was one of them. There was another one, the last one that we watched, another wolf. Anyway, it, it was an English one. Um, it, it, it's all about, um, not all about, uh, different things. But uh, during those nights, Christian took them very seriously. Um, we were not, you know, we were not supposed to be on our phones, iPads, or any electronics. It, it, it was just supposed to be us. But I was stubborn um, because I would be working all day, and you know, after after work, I I want to catch up with with Facebook or or whatever. Well, just Facebook for emails, personal emails, and stuff like that. And sometimes I would sneak a peek um, at my phone, you would be or I would be staring at my phone, and Christian would be would be upset at that. And he's like, I thought this was family time. You're on your phone. Get off your phone. Um, he took it very seriously in that I do remember one night where one of my bosses, it was 8.30 at night, one of my bosses calls me on my phone <laughs> and I had to excuse myself. I took the call. He was incensed. He was very, very upset. He, he, like, he turned to me and he went, during family time? Yeah. This is family time. <clears throat> That's not right. Yeah. <clears throat> he was not pleased. He was not pleased. He actually went to his room, didn't come back down. He was he no, was, that was what that, that wasn't that night. It wasn't that night, but he was he was he was upset with that one. Um, one time she was on her phone. Oh yeah, I'm just and he just got up, he went. I'm done. I'm and he went upstairs this. and he, she was pleading with him, come on, Christian, I'm not on it anymore. And he's like, no, he was done. That was it. Yeah, <laughs> he was done. Um, we had vacations um, and we, we enjoyed them. We, you know, we took him, um, I'm glad that we took him to Disney once. Yeah. That was a, that was a really great, those are really great memories in Disney. Christian never knew a stranger. Yes. No matter what, he would go, there were rides that he wanted to go on that Faye and I were too old to go on. So he would just go on them on his own and he would come back talking to a crowd of people. Yeah. You know, um, he, he made friends everywhere because he, first off, he had the gift of gap. He never stopped talking. You know, um, on his Facebook page, and it's still there. It, I, I always look at it, and it makes me chuckle. He has a meme from Gordon Ramsay. He goes, "Okay, 
we're going to learn how to make a Christian. And then he, the next slide is Gordon Ramsay says, you begin with a lot of talkativeness. And then the next one is, goes, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> you know, um, he posted that on his own, <laughs> you know. Um, he used to keep my secrets for me yes. because mom didn't like the fact that I happened to be an Amazon junkie. And I was, I, when Amazon Prime came out, I jumped on it. And Christian would grab the packages and hide them for me before Faye found them. And he would, when I come home, he would rush up to me and go, it's in your office. It's in your office. Don't worry about it. Mom didn't see it. <laughs> you know, um, he, he covered for me. He, he, he was good. He was good. You know, um, I was going to ask you if he was born in Gemini, because I'm a Gemini. I feel like that it resonates with me because I'm very talkative and <laughs> I, I wonder about, I wonder about that, but you know, he was, I, he was born on a Halloween. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know what that is. I think, I think that's Scorpio. Scorpio. Yeah. He's a Scorpio then. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, He was um, very friendly and it didn't matter who the person is. Doesn't matter what color, doesn't matter what age young or old babies grandmothers you know it, it didn't matter who the person is i once walked into the supermarket with him and he called out to this old man and the old man turned looked at him and when he recognized him the man was like kind of like you know just not very happy but the minute he saw who called to him, his face lit up and he smiled from ear to ear. And he was like, how are you? How have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. And I'm standing there wondering, okay, why is this old man talking to my son? And um, I turned to Christian, I said, what's that about? He goes, oh, I remember him from when I used to work at Dunkin' Donuts. He used to come in every day and I would just talk to him, you know, um, he, it didn't matter to him. He could talk to a two-year-old. He can talk to an 80-year-old. Mm -hmm. You know, um, my mother was in a nursing home out here. <clears throat> and I used to visit her every day. And most of the time, Christian would come with me. It took no time for Christian to know all the nurses and all the CNAs on her floor. And all the patients who could And, and have the patients, yeah. And he would... I would turn and go, where is Christian? And I would find him at the nurse's station hanging out there. You know, um, all the nurses were trying to fix him up with their daughters. Um, <laughs> you know, but they always knew, they knew him immediately because my mother had a big picture of him facing her bed. So that when she woke up, you saw him and she would tell everyone who came in, that's my grandson, that's my grandson. You know, um, to further emphasize that the fact that he was truly a member of our family. She didn't say her adopted grandson, that was her grandson, you know. Um, yeah, I also yeah. wanted to ask you, like, what hobbies or talent did he have? I mean, besides him being very uh, 
talkative, which I think is being a people person. But I wonder what other talents uh, did he have, and did he, he was, have any goals or dreams that he, he shared was, with you? He was very involved in physical fitness. Mm-hmm. He enjoyed his fitness. He always exercised. He would go out jogging. We'd go to the gym. He would go to the gym. He loved music and all kinds of music. You, one day you might hear he would be blasting salsa music. Another day he might be play, he listening to classical music. Mm-hmm. Other days he would have hip hop going on. He, it didn't matter to him. You know, he, he just enjoyed music. Um, he was a very deep writer. Yes. He wrote Poems. poetry that surprised me. Mm-hmm. You know, um, he was an avid reader. He has ton of tons of books in his room. Yeah, tons of it. And one of the things he used to enjoy doing was going to the library. Mm-hmm. Um, He loved, absolutely loved people. He loved people. He loved helping people any way he could. He would do it. He often gave away his clothes to friends. They told me that he used to cash app his friends. I know he always, he often bought lunch for his coworkers because he said they didn't have any money. I'm like, yeah, but Christian, they make what you make. You know, um, you can't really afford to buy them lunch, (laughs) you know? And he's like, I'm fine. And he would actually even sometimes go without lunch to pay for someone else's. Um, Which was weird because the boy could eat. Mm -hmm. He could eat. He would often, he was working at a supermarket and he would eat an entire rotisserie chicken for lunch. And you would have to look at him and wonder, where is it going? Because he was very thin. Like, how did you do that? It's a magical metabolism. (laughs) Truly. But at 19, he was still figuring out what he wanted to do with his life. I mean, listen, I mean, there there are 30-year-olds out there and they still don't know what they want to do with his life, but their lives, but... And we weren't going to rush him into anything. Yeah. Giving him the room to figure it out. Yeah. But there are days when he's like, I want to be a mechanic. Um, I want to be a a rap star, a a rapper. Um, He had no musical talent whatsoever. And, And then some days, especially probably after talking to Nicole, he'd be like, I want to be a lawyer. You know, um, he he wanted to be many things, and I think that that's probably common to nineteen years old year olds. But you know, like Garrett said, we weren't pushing him to, you know, go to college. You got to start college by this time, you know. But we always said you have to have a job. Um, you can't stay at home just playing games. Um, find something and then eventually you know once you know what you really really 
really, really want and you think that you will be happy doing it long term, then then you go for it. Um, he um, he was always looking for jobs. He was always interviewing. Um, he, at some point, he had two or three jobs. Um, you know. Yeah, uh, that was three. He was at yeah. Frank's Rent a Center and Giant. Right. Um, and again, he's he's always looking. He's always comparing. You know, I could make this much. You know, if I do this, if I go to this place, if 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 they would take me, I can make this much. I'm still finding some of his little sheets of paper where he would calculate how much money he's going to make in a month or in a week or something. And there, he has lists of, of things that he wants to buy or get or just budgeting his money. Um, I found one the other day um, and it just broke my heart because I knew that that was, that, that was, those were his notes and it was just, he folded it um, very small, like a little triang triangular piece of paper. And I was about to throw it out and I opened it and sure enough, um, there were his notes, you know, numbers. And, and, and I could just tell that he was calculating how much he would make from one job to another. Um, but that's, that's who he was. He had plans. You know, he he had dreams, you know, um, and it obviously just breaks my heart that he's not here, you know, for us to share those dreams with him. Yeah. And I also know that Christian had also struggled with mental health, and I know you touched earlier on on when he was trying to discover or understand more about his, um, his, his own experiences. And I think often it's so common for teenagers to not disclose of what's going on to their parents. I think it's, it's not uncommon. And has Christian been able to confide in you in some of his own struggles? Or did he feel like he could share this with other close friends or family members? He didn't talk much about, we didn't, he didn't talk much about those deep struggles, if you would, um, but he had been work, he, he's worked with many different counselors all along. Um, and, I knew that he needed counseling and that's why we have worked on making sure that he has that, um, that support. And unfortunately with, I think that with COVID, um, uh, there might have been a shortage of, of, of counselors um unfortunately still a shortage of people. <clears throat> yeah unfortunately um i think it was probably september around um the counselor that he was working with um just announced 
you know, I'm leaving this group. Um, here's the name of a counselor that you might want to call, contact, um, and, you know, for Christian to work with. And that was that. Um, looking back now, I thought that it would have been appropriate for this counselor to find another counselor for Christian within the same group. You know what I mean? But that wasn't or at done. at least the group make arrangements because they had to know he was leaving. Right. He, he just said, I'm leaving. This is our last session. Here's the name. Call this person. Um, so I called, um, I called the number that he gave. I called the group that he gave. Christian didn't like the counselor because I know that with counseling and especially with Christian, Christian has to have, Christian has to like the counselor. And I think that that is important. And I don't think it's just applicable in Christian's case. There has to be a good rapport between a counselor and a patient. And, and Christian did not like um, the counselor that he went to at first. So when he expressed that he didn't like that counselor, I immediately called my insurance company um, to get a list of um, counselors that are available out there within a 25 mile radius um, from where we live. And when I called the insurance company, the first time that I called, they said, um, we're so sorry because your son is 19 years old. He has to make the request himself. He has to call us himself. We cannot give you that information. So I tried to get Christian to call, of course, with a 19 year old um, who is busy doing whatever a 19 year old does. And plus he's the patient, you know, a patient who is struggling with their mental health cannot make that call um, to get a list of providers. That, that's, not, that's not a realistic, that's not a reasonable expectation um, from a patient and especially a 19 year old who's still trying to figure out um, what he wants to do and who's also struggling with his own mental health. Um, so that was that I couldn't get him to call. I called the insurance company again. And um, the second time that I called, um, I actually got an operator who agreed to send me a list of providers. Got the list of providers. I started making the phone calls. Um, and once again, as I am calling the, the different service providers, I was getting the same responses. Your son is 19 years old. He has to make the call. He has to make the arrangements. He has to make the, the appointments. <clears throat> and, and again, you know, days go, a week goes, a couple of weeks goes, um, and Christian makes the call. Um, then he doesn't make the appointment. Um, or I try another group, same thing happens um, until finally, you know, in, in, in December, he finally said, mom, um, 
I have an appointment with um, some another counselor finally in the same group um, from where his for the la his former counselor, the counselor that he liked, he managed to get an appointment with another counselor, but that appointment was in January, January 21st. But by that time, the damage has already been done. Um, you know, and it's it, it is very disheartening that that is how mental health professionals are handling new patients. Um, that a 19 years old, a 19 year old who is having those issues is expected to make the arrangements for them to get the help that they need. That should not be the case. I, as a mother, should be able to make that appointment. I should be able, I should be allowed to help my son to get the services that he needs. That should not be, his age should not be a stumbling block. I am the caregiver. I am paying for the insurance. It, it, Christian's insurance was through me. I am the insured. And Christian's insurance is through me. Why am I not allowed to make those arrangements for my son? Mm. Or at least true. or at least to be in the same room, you know, for that discussion to happen. I think that is so I, I just cannot imagine like if I had to go back to being nineteen years old again, I would be so overwhelmed by yeah. dealing with the red tape. I'm I still am. I'm twenty years later, I still, you know, when I have to go through uh, finding a therapist and going through all the paperwork and the insurance, it's its overwhelming already when you are already dealing with mental health struggles. Yeah. So the last thing you need is to have more roadblocks. And, and right. unfortunately, Christian and you yourself had to experience a lot of red tape to even get the help that he needs. And, and I also want to lift up how you mentioned it's important to have a good relationship with your therapist. I think that, you know, we all have very different needs and you know christian had specific needs and it's important to have a therapist that actually is trauma informed in the work in what mm -hmm. he has been going through so um yeah thank you for that and i think you know in the days following um your son's murder by the police and i don't want to make you relive uh that day but i just want to say ask you like what was the response from the police to the state's attorney's office in this? Nothing. Nothing other than what they already presented to the public in March of 2021. We have not heard anything. Mm -hmm. And I know recently they, like a month before the one year anniversary, um, that they had finally released the, the last four seconds of the video, which actually came from your own lawyers to push for that. And I just want to say that's, yeah. Oh, I don't know if you want to add anything to it, Gareth. No, I wasn't going to say anything. Our, okay. Actually, our attorney At was threatening fight. to bring it to court to release that video, which I found absolutely horrendous because in the 
in the months after Christian's death, there were a number of other shootings that took place. And in each case, within a week, the family had the video. Within a week, the family had a meeting with the district attorney's office. This district attorney here has never contacted us. He didn't even have the decency to contact us to let us know when he was having his press release. He invited the press, but did not speak to us. He didn't even tell our attorneys they were giving their statement. Ben Crump's office was alerted to the fact that they were doing this by the press. The press contacted him and said, did you know that the district attorney of Monroe County is having this conference? Our attorney, one, the attorney working with Ben Crump, reached out to the district attorney, sent him an email and asked him if he planned to have a meeting with us, can we have a meeting prior to that press conference? He never responded to the email. And then to see his, I'm gonna say his flunky get up there and lie. He lied about what happened. He claimed that Christian was manipulating the gun in an aggressive manner. You saw the footage. Where was that? That did you see anything like that? Because from what I saw, my, hand, my son's hands were up. But we already knew that was a lie because we had the civilian footage. The civilian footage contradicted their statements. They, the, the same day, the, the state police put a press release out saying Christian had picked up the gun, got agitated. I mean, he had put the gun down, got agitated, picked it back up and began to advance on them with the firearm. This is after they already discovered that it was a pellet gun. And that entire press release was a fabrication because Christian, they, he was standing still for 14 seconds before they opened fire. He did not make a move. There was no reason for them to open fire. But there was, you can hear someone over the radio saying, if he doesn't drop it, take him. And the fire, the fire started ringing out immediately. They didn't even have the decency of saying that to him. If you don't drop it, we're going to open fire. No, they just opened fire. So as far as I'm concerned, there are three people who killed my son. The two who fired and the one who gave the kill order. Mm. And I think they should all be arrested. Every single one of them. It also it gives you another really upsetting example of where people who are in mental health crisis ends up 
getting police intervention, which ends up killing killing them and them getting punished for something that they needed help. And I think this it's so heartbreaking, you know, just to hear what the last moments of Christian's life when he really needed that help. He needed the attention and the police unfortunately decided to take a very dark turn and I wanted to ask you what is what is the current updates so far with the case are you looking is there any any different uh, any different uh, avenues can you go through uh, legally Nicole you wanna sorry I'm going to ask you Nicole mm -hmm. I just had it on you because people are walking in um, so right now they have already you know the DA found it justified and so it's up to the DA's office if they wanted to refer it to the uh, Attorney General Josh Shapiro they have declined to do that Josh Shapiro does not have the uh, power to take the case uh, this is how Pennsylvania's structure is other states don't have it that way they do have oversight by the AG or an independent um, body that can look at the DA's office and say, I think there's a conflict of interest here. Pennsylvania doesn't have that. So um, we don't have, they don't have the power to take over the case. And the only option that we have at this point is if the DA changes their mind, which I doubt they will, but if they did and say, okay, Attorney General Shapiro, review this case independently, which is what we've been asking for from the beginning. Um, and they're refusing to do that. Even after the video was revealed and the unredacted video, official video, they still refuse to refer this case to the attorney general. It, it's a cover-up. Um, the only thing, the only option that we have is that the attorneys are filing a federal um, complaint for civil rights uh, violations, um, which is what often happens in these type of police uh, violence cases, in addition to the prosecution by the DA. But because the DA declined to prosecute and found it justified, um, the only option we have is the federal. And so the attorneys, Devin Jacob and Ben Crump are drafting, actually they already drafted it, but it's not officially filed yet. I hope, I believe it should be filed like in the next week or something. Mm, thank you so much for bringing this important context to the dialogue. Um, so I know that there's been a number of Asian black community groups and other community members that have been advocating for your son what has that support been like for you and how has that helped you continue, especially in the pursuit of uh, justice for Christian Hall? And I, I use the word justice very carefully here because if there was real justice, Christian would be alive and he would be getting the help that he needs. But what um, what has that support been like and, and uh, how have you been able to, you know, to work with these communities who um, have been advocating for them, advocating for your son. It is very, very humbling to know that there are many, many people out there who recognizes the injustice that has happened, that there are many people out there who are standing with us and supporting us in, in many, many ways. Um, all right, there have been um, rallies that, uh, especially 
you know, early on a few months after December last year, there were many people who got together and we didn't even know, they didn't contact us. We just read about um, rallies in Pittsburgh, for example, and, and um, people getting together and, and, and just um, standing up for Christian and, and just um, calling for justice, calling, um, calling for um, independent investigation, just, just out there representing. Um, and then as the days and months, um, you know, from, from last year and even in the beginning of this year, there are many, many groups out there. Um, and we're very, very appreciative. Um, folks like you, for example, who have taken interest um, in our son's story, in, in, in our family, and, and I'm very, very, very grateful um, to people like you. Um, Nicole has been approached by many, many people, um, many groups, and again, I am, I am humbled, uh, and I'm very, very grateful um, for the recognition and for the support, and I just pray that it continues until until we see that um, justice is there, that changes are made to the laws, that there are services, the appropriate services, the doors are opened um, to those uh, people who are in need of mental health services, their families, um, you know, um, I am humbled. Extremely. Mm. I just wanted to say that, you know, for the past year since I've been following your son's case, you know, I've been following, I have been very fortunate to be friends with a number of community activists over the years. And um, I definitely want to shout out Rohan from the Blasian March and, you know, and the Black and Asian Alliance on Facebook um, that have been continuing to bring the case and, and so many others who have not forgotten him. And, you know, it always warms my heart at this, while well, saddens me at the same time, you know, to see my Instagram stories, you know, with pictures of Christian Hall, because at least it tells me that he's not being forgotten. And that despite the lack of mainstream media and, um, and the pursuit of, of bringing the officers to court. Um, I also am very, um, I'm very encouraged to see that, you know, people truly do care. And I do want to make sure that you are aware that so many people in the Asian and the black and other POC communities really, you know, have been thinking very much about you. And I think that's very important. And I think you shared, before we start to wrap things up, I know you shared a, uh, a, an important story, uh, Faye, about one of his friends. Um, you, I know you shared this with me. And I think this is also important to talk about his impact on other sure. people. Yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. So um, Christian had a tight group of friends. I mean, he had many friends, but he had a tight group of friends and uh, his inner circle, his inner <clears throat> circle, that is. And uh, I just 
discovered last week or probably a couple of weeks ago, a week and a half ago. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, but for some reason, I went into Christian's Facebook account and I saw a post from one of his friends tagging him with a picture of himself and his new baby. And there was a message there that said, I love you, brah. I miss you so much. And he said, um, I named, this is my son and, I, son, and I named him after you. His name is Christian Ambre, whatever his name was. And I was shocked and I was very touched by that, you know, by that, you know, a friend of his, I know this is not a friend that he grew up with, you know, and, and, and the fact that this child, this young man names his son after a friend for probably a year, couple years, a few months, I don't know how long. And I was thinking at that time, surely this child has a male model in his family, you know, a father, an uncle, you know, a cousin, grandpa, grandfather or whatever. And even, I, I don't know, his wife or girlfriend, surely there are male, you know, male models, role models in, in, in their family. And yet he named his child after Christian. And, and, and that just shows me, <clears throat> how Christ, the, the impact that Christian had in the lives of his friends that, you know, naming a child is forever. You know, it, it's, not, it's not just, you know, for the next few months, the next few years, it's forever. You named your child after a good friend of yours. It is such an honor to know that someone, um, you know, is, to me, he's a stranger. I don't know this child. And someone would name their child after my son. And uh, it speaks volumes uh, of who Christian was to, to his friends and, 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 and to many and to the community. I'll go as far as to say that one of Christian's closest childhood friends traveled over a thousand miles to go to his funeral. You know, he was going to school in Indiana, and at first he was just going to send a video message to be played at Christian's funeral, but instead, I believe he drove over a thousand miles to be, well, is Indiana a thousand? Well, I don't oh, know. He, he, well, he traveled a big distance, you know. Um, he had friends who traveled for two hours to go to his funeral, that young man being one of them, you know, um, people came from all over to pay their final respects, you know, um, Faye's niece traveled in from Connecticut, you know. Um, he has a friend who wrote a song for him, a couple of songs. Wow. You know, um, I know that um, he, he had also planned on filming a video, you know, about him being on the bridge and stuff like that. But I wasn't too crazy about that because I'm like, I 
don't know that that is the moment that you want to sing about or or video it, it's just too traumatic i mean just, you know write a song about the happy moments that you guys have had but um you know he has that um his he has a cousin Garrett's uh, niece who's 11 years older than him and uh she lives in New Jersey and I didn't realize that um they were talking several times during the day almost every day um but he was he was the glue to our family he reached out to every well not every he reached out to many members of our family you he know he was talking to relatives of mine that i haven't i haven't spoken to in a while wow. yeah that's he unbelievable talked, he talked to our family in canada he talked to nicole um you know very often um they would schedule nicole you can share your calls yeah, no i mean um i didn't want to interrupt but of course you know he he would talk to me about a whole lot. I mean, I'm 51 years old and he would call me and um, I, I'm an attorney, so I'm normally working. So he would say, you know, text me, hey, can we talk right now? And I'm like, oh, I'm in court. And he's like, all right, let's FaceTime later or let's FaceTime on Saturday at 12 o'clock. Good. And I would always think, oh, my goodness, maybe there's something, you know, up. And no, he just wanted to say, how's everything going? Like, what's going on? Let's just talk. And it was so refreshing to me because like I have I have teenage kids. You know, um, I have a 21 year old, a 17 year old and a 26 year old. They're not, it's only a text message I'm going to get. If that, I'm not going to get a full <laughs> look into your eyes and I want to see how, you know, how are you today? And that's who Christian was. And so what they were saying about us not considering him adopted. No, I've, we've never used that, used that term before. The only reason why anyone knows now that he's adopted is because it was put in, I think, one one um, press release or something by the attorneys, and then so many adopted families, and it wasn't a secret, it's just, we just never called them an adopted cousin or a son or anything like that. But once we said it, there were so many adopted families that, um, adoptees that reached out to us, that um, his story resonated with them, and, and they wanted to let us know they supported us, and, and that his story was their story, and um, hearing about him motivated them. And so we realized, wow, this is a whole community that, you know, this give, it's kind of giving them a, a voice that maybe they didn't have before. So we have connected not only with a lot of people in, you know, the Asian, Black, Latino um, communities, but we also connected with a lot of adoptee communities um, to try and, you know, amplify their voice. Because a lot of times, like you said, you know, their therapist should be trauma specialized and not because of anything the adopted families did to them but just the initial from what I'm learning you know I try to read as much as I can what their trauma is from just being adopted and that voice is really never heard it's always you know you have a better life here than you would have had yes mm. but you know it's still that trauma so um yeah I mean you know he called me you know we <clears throat> called at least I would say every every other week I just couldn't speak wow. to him like all the time you know and and the other day, someone asked me a question about the day and, you know, I had to pause and really think about it. And I was like, my first thought when Gareth called me was, okay, what's some, is something wrong? Right. And then after he told me what happened, 
I was in shock. And then I really was like, oh my goodness, I hope I didn't miss a call from him. Like that's like, was really eating at me that could I have not responded? And, you know, um, and, and luckily I didn't miss a call and I didn't miss a text, but it would have destroyed me if I did because every other time, no matter what, I could be doing a hearing on court and he's texting me, I'm texting him back. And that was like my, I was like, I just, you know, I just, it would have, you know, if I, if I didn't respond to him, you know, and I even asked the kids too, cause um, you know, he would text with the kids also. Mm -hmm. And the last, one of the last conversations we had with him, um, he was uh, trying to buy an outfit. Um, and I, I think you can tell the about the outfit, but he was trying to buy this outfit that he had like two or three choices that he wanted to get. And it was like red, like different colors. And um, that was his style, like more of like a hip hop style. And like Alejandro and Antonio probably had that hip hop style and maybe now they're, they didn't. So he's like, what do you think of this? And I was like, well, I don't know. I got to ask their cousins because you know, you're younger than me. And they're like, well, it's not really our style, but I mean, if I had to pick, I'd pick, you know, this one, they picked the one. He goes, okay, no problem. I'm going to buy this for myself for my birthday um, or for Christmas, I think it was. And, um, and he did, he bought it for himself. So, I mean, that those are the types of conversations we would have, or he would call my husband, like his savage uncle. Cause like his uncle's like too, you know, savage, like cool, I guess is the word that it would mean. Um, just like light conversations like that, that we would all have with him. And I, I even remember one time he FaceTimed me like on a Saturday and it wasn't like a planned thing. Like he was just FaceTiming me and I'm, I was at my sister's house and my sister's like, who are you talking to? I'm like, I'm talking to Christian. And he's like, how often does he call you? I was like, whenever he wants to. And she was so like, wow, that's really cool. I didn't know you had a relationship with him. And that's just who he was. You know, um, I'm, I'm sure eventually he would have had a relationship with her too. Mm -hmm. uh, he was just that type of person. I mean, he talked, he would even talk to people that maybe we really didn't want him, like, you know, some, some family members, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little questionable, but I mean, he would, he would always want to have that olive branch of like, well, why is that person that way? How can we, you know, yeah. embrace this person? And that was a redeeming quality that um, I have to say was part him, but definitely his parents. And so, um, you know, when, you know, I know they say, Faye and Garrett say thank you, thank you to me all, all the time, which I'm like, there is no thank you. Like this is, you know, I loved him too. And I'm going to do this as long as I have to, because I love them and I loved him. But um, I, I just couldn't see myself allowing this, you know, this angel to be taken from us. And then we're just going to just like not do anything about it. It's just not in my spirit, especially because of the person he was. Mm. Now, as far as to say that, um, that was the fact that none of us saw him as adopted is why when the trooper called me to ask for Faye and I to come to the barracks, he took me by surprise because he said, um, he asked me, is this Garrett Hall? And I said, yes. He said, are you the adopted father of Christian Hall? That took me by surprise. I was like, what? Um, I had never been referred to as his adopted father. You know, I was his father. Yeah. You know, um, and they asked us to come to the barracks and they made us wait 45 minutes 
before they came out to tell us anything. 45 minutes while they, and they came out with five or six officers. They and I have lived out here for over 20 years. We have never once seen a non-white state trooper, but they made sure, and I don't know where they dug them out from, they found the one black trooper they had and as fair skinned as could be, came out and he was the one to deliver the news to us. Mm. Yeah. I'm really sorry. And as I wrap up, I know Nicole, I know you've been working very diligently and working on their behalf. And also, you know, for both Mr. and Mrs. Hall, I think when you share these stories about all of his friends from across the US, sharing these stories, I also hope that you will hear more beautiful untold stories. And I'm mm -hmm. sure that they will continue on just like Nicole shared a lot of her stories, you know, and, and I think that that is, that is the kind of impact that he has. And it's also why there's so many people wanting to coalesce mm -hmm. and and keep his memory alive because of that kind of impact. Um, Nicole, I would like to, as we start to wrap up, I would like to ask you, like, where can we, uh, where can you direct uh, people to follow up on the case? And also what are the current action plans that are needed from the public to, uh, put, to apply more pressure onto the uh, state's attorney's office? I'm sure, so uh, we have. Oops. You're good? Yes. Okay. Um, we have two Instagrams. We have Christian J. Hall um, Instagram, and we also have Justice for Christian Hall Instagram. Uh, we have websites. We have Christian J. Hall Foundation website and uh, Justice for Christian Hall website. So if you just Google either one, it will pop up. And in terms of next steps, um, we just hope that we just have to continue putting pressure on the DA to change their mind, hopefully. And once the once the uh, complaint is filed, you know, put pressure or keep your eyes on the US Attorney's Office to file some charges against the, you know, the police. Um, once once it's drafted, I don't want to say who's included in it, but that's what we need. It's really pressure. I mean, in terms of the mainstream media, it's it's just sad that they're not giving the attention to this this case. Um, I feel for certain reasons. Um, I think that it is a power. I mean, I know you didn't ask me this question, but I'll just add it anyway. I think it is about power. I think like you know, when with the mainstream media, if we don't have representation of you know Asian population in the mainstream media, who are they really going to pitch this to? We've had several journalists, Asian journalists, say, "Hey, I want to do this story. I want to do this. I want to do that." And I don't think that it's for lack of trying that they can't get it to be pushed onto like repeat, you know, um, getting the attention that it deserves. They've tried, but it's the powers that be above them within those uh, agencies that are feeling that it's not newsworthy, unfortunately. Um, even with the Asian hate, you know, um, epidemic that's going on right now, this is what I spoke about on the weekend. We were invited to go speak. They'll do a story about someone who gets, you know, unfortunately killed or um, harassed or, or beat up because being Asian, 
they'll do it for like maybe a day and then all of a sudden they forget about it until somebody else gets harassed or, or you know abused or, or killed why is that it is something that is happening for a reason it's not happening in a vacuum and you know that even at the speech when we went i went this weekend several people were pointing to you know politically how you know asians have been become have become the scapegoat for everything for coronavirus for you know whatever the others that has to be something that is continuously talked about on mainstream media and that having that voice there will allow people like Asian, other Asian journalists or black journalists, whoever deems this, this story important to say this story is important. How can a 19 year old child who had a mental health, was having a mental health problem who called the police for help get killed by the police? And that is not a major news story in the middle of the pandemic when everyone knows that a lot of people are having mental health issues. That should be a frontliner every single day because that was a failure of the system on so many levels, but it's not. Thank you so much for amplifying this, Nicole. And, and also, I really hope that people get to follow uh, more on Christian Hall. And thank you so much for really doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I know that that's been a, a very difficult job, but also a labor of love, as you mentioned um, previously. And also, um, in closing, I just want to say, Mr. and Mrs. Hall, I am just so honored for you to share these stories. And um, I just wish you continued healing. I wish you all the light and care and and hoping that the memories of Christian, um, not just from your own experiences, but from uh, the people that have come across him can continue to keep you going and also to be able to honor him. And, you know, I. It, it breaks my heart to have to hear these stories, but I also feel it's so important to to come back and bring the human element of Christian. And I think that's what it all comes down to. Like we, like he was a human being. He was a kid. He was somebody's parents. He was somebody's uh, relative, somebody's best friend. And I think that when we explore what mental health looks like, um, and think about these avenues, we could prevent these future uh, Christian Hall situations. So um, I just wanna say thank you from the bottom of my heart. And uh, I hope that we'll see more progress in the case. Yes, thank so, you. Thank yes. you very much. I wanna thank you also, Randy, for your interest and you know for what you have done i know you've been following you probably have made statements out there um but i want to thank you also for for your interest in christian as a person not just christian in that last few moments on the bridge because you know you're absolutely right christian's life was not just the was not just those 19 minutes. Christian was 19 years old. He had a life. He had missed out on a lot of things. We have missed out on a lot of things, but we had 18 years of Christian. And, and to me, that is a gift from God. Yes, um, that was a blessing of, of, of 18 years um, of, of memory and good times. 
you know, even the imperfect times, even the times that, you know, he had trouble, we had trouble with him. His life was not perfect. Our life with him was not in any way perfect, but I have to be thankful for those 18 years. And I thank you so very much that your focus was on those 18 years and not just the 90 minutes. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Stu. And again, it's an honor. And and I look forward to hearing more from you and being in contact with you. Yes. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for listening. And be on the lookout for future episodes. So follow me on The Bunby Chronicles on Facebook. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Bunby underscore chronicles thank you again and looking forward to sharing more with you